Cabinet of Curiosities by James Henry. Chapter 20 The Earl's personal corporation didn't just make cheap plastic things with Rosa's face on them. It had factories all over the world, making everything from cars to electronic components and laboratories that invented new kinds of textiles, metal alloys, even plant hybrids. The Earl must be a very rich man indeed. And he owns all the patents himself, mused the professor. What does that mean? asked Rosa. It means he's come up with at least a hundred different inventions. Ways to make grain grow quicker, cars lighter and cheaper than anyone else can make them. Even new kinds of plants no one else has heard of. So either he's the greatest inventor in the history of the world, or... Someone's been busy, said Agnetha from behind them. Neither of them had heard a return. Rosa reached out and smoothly turned off the computer. The professor looked startled, but didn't complain. We'd better be going now, I think, said Rosa. Thanks for letting us use your computer. Sorry if I was a bit snappy beforehand, said Agnetha, who didn't appear to have noticed Rosa's sudden movement. Those incomers might not want our cabs, but everyone else does. Half the town's been selling up and moving out, though no one will say why. Moving out, said the professor. He sounded shocked. Agnetha frowned. Spent too much time in that museum of yours, fussing and tidying. This has been going on for weeks. Order and order, said the professor. He took a piece of paper out of his pocket and handed it to Agnetha. Your receipt, he said, for the jar. Agnetha caught Rose's interested gaze, looked a little defensive. Part of my heritage, she explained. Dad was a red dwarf, left me with a suspicious nature. But wonderful colouring, said the professor smoothly, wrapping the jar in layers of old newspaper and placing it in the carrier bag. Can't even offer you a lift back, said Agnetha, sounding more annoyed than sorry. Booked up till about three this morning. No matter, said the professor, shaking her warmly by the hand. We can go back the way we came. But they couldn't. When they got back to the manhole cover, it had been welded shut. Chapter 21 Shall we go back to the office? suggested Rosa. But the professor pointed discreetly at the sacks of rubbish piled beneath the cab company's window. Rosa gasped. What she'd previously taken to be a pile of old clothes now clearly had arms, legs and a head. Scratched sunglasses caught the light from the street lamp, turning to track them as they headed steadily into town. Do you think Agnetha told them about us? asked Rosa in a low voice. Red dwarves did have a bad reputation in the old days, said the professor, specialising in betrayal and deceit, it was said. But I've known Agnetha for a long time. No, I think we were spotted the minute we climbed out of the manhole. Do you think the Earl, Rosa started to say, then stopped. Someone was walking along towards them, on the other side of the road, staggering slightly like a drunk, or someone not quite in control of their body. It was wearing an odd mishmash of clothes, a hooded top, shining running shorts over grey leggings and mismatched boots. Professor? asked Rosa quietly. I see them, he said. Them? Looking around, Rosa spotted a couple more, still on the far side of the road, walking in slow circles among the bare flower beds of what a painted board proudly described as the marine gardens. What are they? whispered Rosa as they increased their pace. The shops were more prosperous looking as they got closer into town, but still closed. In the window of a toy shop called Magicraft, Rosa saw yet another lumpy figure reflected amongst the chemistry sets and pink footballs, stopping to watch them go. They're called Wurglar, he said. Not very strong on their own. You just have to make sure you don't walk into a group of them. What happens then? asked Rosa. Never stuck around to find out, he said. We didn't sound particularly worried or scared. 
but they were walking quickly now, and Rosa noticed him reach beneath his coat to loosen the blade in its scabbard, then flex his hands, warming them up. She pulled her coat closer around her, and risked a quick look back. There were more of them now. Rosa felt a hand on her arm, and jumped, but it was just the professor. We're going to have to make a run for it, up that road, he said. She looked in the direction he was pointing. The road with two more of those things coming down it? Yes, said the professor. The two stumbling things were faster than they looked, and were upon them in a second. The professor drew his sword, almost casually, and slashed at the nearest wurglar, a gloved sleeve left wriggling on the icy pavement. The other one made a lunge, straight for Rosa. She put her own arm out instinctively, trying to knock it off balance. To her horror, she found her fingers slipping inside the eye holes of the balaclava mask the thing wore underneath its hood. The space inside felt empty and warm. Rosa swallowed her panic and pushed harder. The wurglar fell sprawling to the ground. Rosa and the professor ran to the park entrance, only for Rosa's heart to fall. The gates were eight feet high and chained shut, the iron railings to each side topped with sharp spikes. The bin, shouted the professor. To the side of the entrance was a large, rectangular weedy bin pushed up against the railings. The Wurglar were only a few paces behind them now. Rosa scrambled on top of the bin and dropped down into the park, skidding slightly on the frozen ground. The Wurglar were nearly upon the professor now, gloved hands reaching out as he climbed onto the bin, then dropping down next to Rosa. Reaching back through the railings, they pushed until they felt the bin's weight beginning to shift, then it rolled away down the road, wheels rattling as it picked up speed. More shuffling stragglers were turning up into the side road, and Rosa was delighted to see a couple more knocked over as the bin shot down the hill. Rosa and the professor stepped back into the park, and watched the Wurglar pressing themselves against the railings, clutching feebly just out of reach. For a moment, it seemed as though they were safe, but the professor's expression had already turned to concern. Following his gaze, Rosa saw the first rank of boneless creatures squeezing themselves between the iron spikes, like toothpaste from a tube. Damn, said the professor quietly. The first Wurglar was through the railings now. One of its feet had been twisted backwards, and it limped badly, leaving a ragged trail in the snow-covered grass. It was moving at a steady pace. Most of the others were at least halfway through. Rosa and the professor ran across the park. The corner of the cabinet was visible, through yet another set of railings, with no more wheelie bins to be seen. Oi! shouted the professor suddenly and waved. Up in the kitchen window, a tiny figure was perched on the windowsill. Sergeant Watkins, staring out into the night, but looking in the wrong direction. Gary! exclaimed Rosa. There he was, perched on the roof of a nearby house but if he'd seen or heard them, he showed no signs of reacting. You ghastly simian, yelled the professor angrily, but the monkey was holding his phone out into the night air, squinting at the screen and holding it out again. Rosa made a small, hard snowball and squinted, judging the distance carefully. The snowball hit the back of Gary's head. He leapt up into the air with a screech, glaring all around him. Yes, thought Rosa, pleased. Oh, good shot, called the professor. Rosa turned to him, grinning then saw the dozen or so Wurglar behind them, spreading out to cut off any avenue of escape, the moonlight casting sharp, angular shadows on the snow as they limped and staggered across the park. "'Get to more!' shouted the professor. "'Tell Sergeant Watkins to come!' And But Gary had shot across the rooftops and away. Rosa looked back at the kitchen window, hoping to see the mouse again, but Sergeant Watkins, if it had been him, had gone. Rosa felt very cold and very tired. They were backed up against the railings now. The professor stood in front of Rosa, sword drawn, 
and handed her the jar. You'd better run, he said. There must be another way out of this park. Maybe you can find a gap to squeeze through. The Earl can't be allowed to get his hands on any of the treasures. But Rosa shook her head. She twirled the handles of the carrier bag around her hand, letting the jar dangle. It had a solid, reassuring weight. I'm staying with you, she said. I'll break it on them if I have to. Then Rosa felt something brush past her foot. She jumped, thinking perhaps more Werglar had circled round on the other side of the railings. But it was a small brown mouse. It shot past her, climbed swiftly up the leg of the nearest Werglar, and started chewing on the chocolate-brown beanie hat pulled down over where its face ought to be. Rosa wondered if there was time to reach forward and pull the apparently suicidal mouse off the creature, which had stopped turning from side to side in a puzzled manner. When another mouse ran past, and then another, and another, the snowy ground now covered with hundreds of the creatures. Rosa had to lean back and grab the railing so she didn't lose her balance. One by one, the glass sank to the ground, disappearing under the sheer volume of mice flowing between the railings and past Rosa's boots. Scraps of clothing rose in the air from the frosty of the mice's attack, fell back to earth and were chewed and shredded once more. Slower than our usual targets, said Sergeant Watkins. Tamor was sitting on the other side of the railings, the mouse perched on top of her head. But you need a lot more of us to take them down. Where did they come from? asked Rosa, as she watched tiny shreds of cloth floating up in the breeze, joining the flurries of snow that were starting to fall again. Leftovers from a wish spell, replied the professor. It happens sometimes. Rosa reached through the railings and scratched Tamor's ears. They felt warm and soft, like velvet. There's a gap in the railings, down on the left, the dog advised. Rosa nodded. The professor sheathed his sword with a neat click and they started walking. Behind them, a single black woolen glove reached up out of the swirling mass of fur and shreds of fabric, fingers twitching randomly, as though something inside was desperately trying to escape. But soon the only sign of workla had even existed in the first place were a few scraps of wool and cloth settling across the snow. Rosa shivered, then turned to follow the professor. I thought of something, she said, as they made their way round to the front of the cabinet. When you cut the Wurglar's glove off, and it was flopping about, what if the Earl's been getting hold of figments, and then taking them apart? He could sell any useful bits and pieces, and claim he'd invented them himself. The professor nodded, impressed. Reverse engineering, he said. I was thinking that same thing. And according to the computer, the number of patents he's filed dropped in the last five years. Nothing at all in the last six months. Looks like the Earl needs to get his hands on some more figments. So why hasn't he just attacked the cabinet? Asked Rosa, puzzled. And how come his company makes all those Rosa Dew things? This is bigger than the cabinet, said the professor, unlocking the front door. Whatever happens when all those treasures are brought together, it must be pretty special. As to how you're involved, I think until your memory comes back, the only person who knows that is the Earl himself. And if we manage to get all the treasures together, we might just have enough leverage to make him tell us what's going on. Finally, the last of the mice returned, streaming from all across the park. Rosa followed them inside, and she finally bid goodnight, wearily climbing the steps to her room. The female mouse was back on her windowsill, as if nothing had happened. Rosa nodded to her, and the mouse politely turned her back as Rosa undressed and climbed into bed. The last thing Rosa saw before closing her eyes was a small furry figure staring patiently out into the falling snow. If anyone pulled me apart, layer by layer, she thought, would there be a rose of dew inside? If so, 
to be someone she would even recognise. But of course there was no way of knowing, and so, entirely sensibly and practically, she fell asleep. <laughs>